Hello, Bill. Good morning, Matt. Welcome to the DMZ, everybody. Friday, November 17th, six days to Thanksgiving. Do you have big Thanksgiving plans, Mr. Lewis? Uh, yes, I am planning on watching WKRP in Cincinnati. Yes. And I'm planning on doing it a special way where I will get uh, to see the episode where turkeys can't fly and and but yet enjoy the classic music that was intended for that episode, Bill. No, you you know, you know, Matt. And 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 longtime listeners know that I am the pioneer of how to watch Turkeys Away properly, the way it was meant to be seen, uh, as it was seen in the broadcast television days. Uh, and I, I need to uh, I need to redo my thread for threads. Yes. Uh, there's a whole new audience I need to share this information with uh, because if you uh, find the episode you know, through Prime Video, I think Prime Video is where you can probably get it now. I'm not sure whether streaming services have it at the moment. These things, it's, it's always been a moving target. Uh, but I know you can get it on Prime Video, but they won't have the version because... KRP always had a problem with copyright issues and the music that they used. And so there's a scene that uses dogs from Pink Floyd that they couldn't get the rights to. Even on the version that you can get on DVD, which got the got the rights for a lot of other songs, but they still couldn't get that one. And so they excise and truncate the scene. And I argue it's it's not a pivotal scene to the plot, but it's a pivotal scene for the for the trajectory of the plot. Uh, I don't think you really grasp how fish out of water the big guy is uh, without the entirety of that scene. So, but you yeah, can we're, find we're, that. Scene. We're assuming everyone knows the big guy is is the. The boss. I mean, his his mom technically owns. Who the big guy is? Why are we having this conversation? Um, and this raises another question, Bill, which is, and I want, I'll, you know, I'm gonna let you finish in a second, but um, I have no idea how to use analytics at all. I'm operating under the assumption that 99% of our audience has been watching us for 15 years <laughs> and has heard this story. 15 years, but maybe there are new people. I don't know. I would like to think that there are some new people <laughs> listening or watching, but uh, so anyway, that's my, that's my uh, interruption. Wait, I, I will repost the thread on, on X. I'll, I'll post it on threads and I'll show you where to stop in the streaming version and go to YouTube. Actually, I, I need to double check, make sure the clip is still on YouTube. Last I checked, it was, uh, where you find the original clip of that scene on YouTube, watch that, then jump back into the streaming version. Is this? Would you say that. that this is the? Would you say, Bill, that this is the like quintessential? I don't know what the word is. That that this is. If if you're going to look for, there's a lot of Christmas shows, right, mm -hmm. and Christmas movies, but there's not a lot of Thanksgiving songs, right? There's mm -hmm. there's uh, uh, Alice's Restaurant Massacre. Yeah. There's uh, Adam Sandler had one, right? Yeah. And I don't think there's a lot of special Thanksgiving episodes of TV shows. Is this like the the gold standard of of, of sitcom it's Thanksgiving? Definitely the gold standard. I think the, I think Cheers one, Cheers right? had a yeah. solid Thanksgiving episode. Uh, and I'm you know, I'm in the middle of watching How I Met Your Mother. They have a good Slapsgiving episode. Um, but WKRP Turkeys Away is you know unparalleled. You'll you'll never 
you'll never meet it. Now, um, I think we should do a fact check, Bill, because some turkeys can fly, right? Is that right? I'm pretty sure they do. I see them here in West Virginia. Um, so I don't know. I, I, I guess it's the domestic. My wife, we could bring my wife in, who, by the way, a great foodie and an amazing cook. Um, she could probably tell us about this, but it must have been like the maybe the domesticated type of turkeys <laughs> that they. Should I spoil what happened in this episode or like? Well, no. I mean, people should watch. If they haven't seen, they should watch it. Um, so anyway, and it. Well, I don't know, Matt. I got, I got this. I, my, I got this bought for me a year ago. I don't know if you can see the reflection. No, there. it's sort of Cincinnati. Oh, oh, okay. Are those turkeys? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I, that I, I is got awesome. The Sorry for uh, the you, podcast Matt? listeners. You couldn't see the visual there. My, my. My uh, my visual homage to Turkey's Away. Who got you that present? Uh, my wife got that for me, I think, a year ago. This is the kind of tribute that I think DMZ Army fans should be sending us unsolicited. <laughs> we'll set up a P.O. box so you can't you know, kill us. But um, you could send things like that, and we'll have an intern open them uh, just to be safe. But we would love tribute. Uh, such as that, um, you know, I'm in the market for some Adley Rutschman uh, jerseys and material. So yeah, <laughs> keep that in mind. Christmas, Hanukkah, these holidays are right around the corner, Bill. Um, we should get cracking, get down to business. Um, what is What has been on your mind this in this week in politics? Well, let's see. I just interviewed uh, Batya Angar Sargon, who uh, wrote the forward to my book, Filthy Rich Politicians. Um, and we had an interesting podcast discussion. She's actually, I think, less worried and concerned about anti-Semitism than I am. But we got into um, one of the topics we got into. I don't know if you saw this, Bill, but um, Ben Shapiro uh, and Candace Owens, who both are famous podcasters at the same outlet, um, have had a fight over Israel. And uh, I think it is indicative of a split on the right. And the left has a lot of problems, too, obviously, when it comes to this topic. Um, but I am concerned. And I think that, uh, you know, Candace Owens, um, as someone that, you know, I, it seems like Ben probably helped elevate her. He's a co-founder of that outlet. Uh, as a Daily Wire, I think. I get it confused yeah. with Daily Signals, Heritage, I think. Daily Wire right. has been. I think he's Daily Wire. Um, and she is, uh, so they're having this very public spat and, um, she is basically my interpretation. It's kind of cryptic, but it seems like she's accusing, uh, Israel of, of genocide for, you know, in my opinion, uh, responding to a horrific terrorist attack. Um, then, you know, Ben criticized her, her publicly and, in, in a, in a video that, that surfaced on, on Twitter and on the internet, um, and then she shot back with sort of a cryptic Bible verse. And at some point she said, um, Christ is Lord or Jesus is Lord, which I, as a statement I endorse, except my interpretation of, of her saying that was um, pointing out that, you know, Ben Shapiro is an Orthodox Jewish person. So it's getting a little messy, Bill, on the right. So, so, so I, I've not followed this debate. Um, so is, is, well, the way you described it, it's not that Owens is making an America first argument. This is just not our business. She is actively criticizing Israeli government actions. 
Am I understanding it correctly? Seemed, it seems like it. Um, and, and then, you know, then she had uh, Tucker Carlson on her show and Tucker basically made the argument and he was like, I'll do my Tucker sort of impersonation um, where he's like, look, I understand that Israel's upset. You know, I get that. But um, I'm a little more concerned about the fentanyl coming into America every day. That, that's more the America first, just not our business yeah. argument. And he's basically saying, and I'm paraphrasing, but he's basically saying like, well, why isn't Ben Shapiro and people like Ben, why aren't they more concerned about the invasion at our border than they are of some other country? I so mean, then Jason I, I Whitlock, Ben Shapiro has never engaged in any kind of anti-immigrant hyperbole right, in the course yeah. of his, his time. I'm sure he has. Um, and then uh, I'll finish up. I think this, as of now, kind of finishes it. Um, where uh, Jason Whitlock, who is, um, he was at ESPN. He was, he started, uh, I think it was called The Undefeated, which is sort of like an African-American sports website for ESPN. He was also at Fox Sports. He used to guest host, pardon the interruption, filling in for Mike Wilbon. Um, but at some point he uh, went to the right. He's now at The Blaze. And he did a video bill, which was like, I've never seen a more explicit example of the dual loyalty trope than what he said. He was talking about the fight between Ben and Candace. And he said, paraphrasing again, but very close to what he said, like, um, you know, Ben's got Ben cares about Israel. He maybe he cares about America, too, but he really cares about Israel. But Candace only cares about America. And so. That's the where we are right now. Uh, well, I, I have to say, I'm not, I'm not surprised that there would be divisions surfacing on the right on the subject based on all the, you know, America First slash Reagan Hawk divisions we've seen over the past several years. I, I'm more surprised taking this long for these things to manifest, and we've had far more. Uh, overt displays of division on the left and center left uh, uh, over over the issue, um, but I just Incl think including by the way them sort of having this huge riot slash protest at the DNC. Yeah, and I don't know if you saw. I just saw this this morning. Our friend Josh Krausar tweeted it. Is it Debbie Dingle? Is that right yeah. from Michigan? Yeah, said that she was more afraid during what happened at the DNC than she was on January 6th Wow, for her personal safety. So, yeah. Um, I just think that both parties have been unsettled about their foreign policy uh, philosophy and posture really since the end of the Cold War. I mean, you can go back to that point where there, we had sort of very sort of clearly defined kind of hawk and dove dividing lines, relatively speaking. Not that there aren't was any kind of intraparty differences, but uh, I think there's a more clearly defined divergence you know, in the Cold War era, post-Vietnam Cold War era. Once that, once Cold War ends, the two parties have been kind of feeling out where do we go from here? I mean, and there's a point pre-9-11, where Democrats are pro-intervention in, in Bosnia and are very focused on uh, suitcase nukes, whereas Republicans are talking about rogue states 
and ro rolling back, you know, Iran and Iraq and North Korea. Then you got this Iraq war phase where you have more sort of clearly defined Republicans of the Hawks and Dems of the Doves. Uh, and, but there is also sort of a mix of we should be focused more on Al-Qaeda than Republicans are doing on the Democratic side. Uh, and now with the injection of Trump, American first philosophy on the right uh, and Trump's willingness to be close to Russia, close to North Korea, close to Saudi Arabia, you know, Obama went all in on the, on the Iran peace deal. There was a point of division there. Uh, and now you have divisions on the Ukraine front and on Israel-Palestine, which further scramble where the two parties uh, line up. So I think there's a lot of fluidity going on right now. Uh, and it's hard to know, and I'm not, not to say this is the most important part of what's happening in these two wars, uh, but for our purposes here, uh, it's hard to know where that shakes out electorally speaking. Does it, yeah. does it actually yeah. and, scramble and the coalitions of the two parties or are they still tertiary issues and economic stuff and culture war stuff matters more. And so it causes a degree of upset, but doesn't actually change where people line up with the two parties. No, it's super interesting. And a, a couple of quick thoughts. One, Pat Buchanan was way ahead of his time. I mean, as soon as the Cold War ended, or, he's way, back or way behind his time, perhaps. <laughs> well, yeah, because he reverts back to an America first, you know, right, old right, what we used to call the old right, paleoconservative position, um, immediately after the Cold War ends. And and I think uh, it took everyone else 25 years or something or 20 some years to get to, to sort of come around. Sadly, I'm not I'm not into that. I prefer the Reagan type of conservatism. Um, but the other thing, Bill, is, uh, you know, Batya, again, back to my podcast with Batya, who, I mean, by the way, it's ironic, right? Here, I'm a, a, a Christian guy living in West Virginia, and I'm more concerned about anti-Semitism than she is. She's a, a Jewish woman who lives so why, in Brooklyn. Why, why is she downplaying it? She walks around with a Star of David necklace in Brooklyn, and she's, I will say, first of all, I think she's tough. Second of all, uh, I think she's uh, happy that people are exposing themselves for who they are rather than keeping it quiet. I disagree. I'd rather culture and society <laughs> force bigots underground. She likes knowing who they are, like being, you know, at least, you know, who the enemy is. Um, I also think she just she thinks she has a lot of faith and trust in the average American and thinks that this is a, you know, 70 percent of Americans are supporting Israel. That's great. This is a great country. And I agree. It's a great country. But, you know, like last week, Bill, I was saying how I think maybe it was a couple of weeks ago, but it, uh, recently I was telling you after a debate that I think even though the majority of Republicans on stage were like Nikki Haley and Chris Christie, Vivek was where the, um, the zeitgeist is, right? He's, his, his philosophy is ascendant. And so that's why I'm concerned is I think a, a, minor, a small minority of committed elites and extremists are incredibly powerful. And I think they are not to sound conspiratorial myself, but they are normalizing things, Bill, that I thought were net were taboos uh, that uh, would not be permitted again. Yeah, I, I would 
lean more to where you are than where she is. I mean, I, I can see the point mathematically. Sure, there are more people saying awful things on social media, but they're not the majority. And, uh, and so at the end of the day, the, the, the chances of me being the target of a violent anti-Semitic attack is still very, you know, statistically very small. So I'm not going get, to get hung up about it. Uh, there's a certain crude logic to that. But I would, I'm more concerned that just, and not just in terms of anti-Semitism, but in general, we're in this sort of period of social media driven balkanization that is not conducive to creating conditions for peaceful policies. I mean, we literally have a situation, I mean, I'm generally one to not take what happens on college campuses all that seriously. You're obviously when you're between the age of 18 and 21, you're going to have relatively simplistic political views and a lot of inclination to screen them from the rooftops. It doesn't necessarily, it, it rarely actually impacts the behavior of, you know, older politicians. Um, and sometimes when it does impact it, it impacts it in a positive way. They're, they're, they're acting as a voice of moral conscience and putting some positive pressure on the system. Uh, now you have a situation where uh, a, a terrorist organization can conclude it makes political sense for us to engage in a barbaric, violent attack because it's going to increase animosity towards my enemy mm-hmm. across the world. Yeah, it's insane, right? These uh, Hamas goes in, invades, invades, goes into Israel, massacres people, takes hostages that are still hostages, and Israel somehow is the bad guy and the, the backlash is against Israel? It's pretty, it's really unbelievable if you think about it. I mean, again, in the, the cold logic they appear to have successfully executed. I mean, look, Israel most likely is not going about this in as careful a way as they could. I mean, they could have even held off for weeks. They didn't have to go in full bore right away. They could have taken a pause and say, okay, how can we go after Hamas leadership in a very surgical way that doesn't require uh, excessive airstrikes. I'm not a military planner. I understand it's an urban environment. I understand this hum- the, the, the use of human shields complicates this greatly. Uh, but there are people like you know Thomas Friedman, for example, who are saying, "Hey, Israel, you don't Hamas wants you to overreact. That they are looking for you to show your worst selves and use that against you in the battle for global public opinion." Uh, and you don't you don't have to play their game. They, they are acting the way Hamas wanted them to act. So there would be uprisings against Israel across the world, particularly in America, which puts some pressure on the American government to uh, constrain I, their activities. I want to push back a little bit. I get what you're saying. And I think America, after 9-11, said, you know, we will respond at a time and place of our choosing, you know. Um, 
And again, you know, we probably fell for what Bin Laden, who, by the way, is a huge TikTok star now, Bill. I'm sure you've seen this. Well, there's some debate about that, but we'll, maybe it's inspiring a the youths of America on TikTok. But, um, but having said that, um, look, there are hostages taken. I wouldn't have wanted someone telling us how to respond after 9-11, telling us, hey, you guys need to calm down. Uh, don't overreact. Well, but was actually not good. <laughs> actually, well, the other point I would make is it does seem like Israel is being pretty responsible. Like they could just destroy, utterly destroy Gaza if they wanted to. Um, they did wait, I think, weeks before they went in. Um, so again, I'm not an expert either, but I think that Israel has probably exercised more caution in trying to protect the lives of civilians than pretty much any you know, military force I can think of, certainly more than they were afforded. I, I understand the argument and I don't wanna be in a position to fully adjudicate it, but I, I, I just, from a political standpoint, Israel is losing support amongst younger Americans who will grow up someday. <laughs> you know, they, they won't always be, you know, 22 year olds. They will be the next generation. And, and these feelings they have, they're not starting their political journeys. And I'm not, I mean, I'm, I'm being overly broad here. It's not literally every single, you know, Gen Zer, uh, but clearly, statistically, far fewer Gen Zers feel sympathetic to the plight of Israelis than of any other generation in our lifetimes. Uh, so but I think that I, th I mean, I think that has way more to do with the fact that they're being taught. I'll use the term cultural Marxism on college campuses, basically that there's this hierarchy of oppression and that Israel and Jews are white based on their perception and that the higher, uh, uh, the more oppressed people are the are the innocent Palestinians and Hamas. Um, and I think it has to do with indoctrination in colleges. I think it has to do with TikTok. I don't think it has to do with Israel. I don't well, think but, Israel but all, is the, all of the those victim. things, all those things certainly appear. There's a, a certain narrative, a settler colonial narrative has taken hold with a lot of younger people. But this is essentially, not literally, but essentially the first big conflagration of Middle East violence that the younger generation has seen. These are these people were, were not really uh, either not alive or barely alive for 9-11. Uh, we've had a relative lull in Middle East violence since around 2015, uh, except for the 2021 Israeli-Gaza war, which was fairly relatively brief. Uh, so this is kind of the first big battle that they're seeing. And the way, again, so a perception here, the way Israel is executing it fits the narrative that they were told. It validates it, legitimizes it in their mind. Whereas if Israel went in a different direction, what perhaps- do they do? What are, But what is Israel doing? There's not like a Mylai incident. They're... There's lots of bombing, killing lots of people. I mean, it's not it's not like what happens it's when not sharpshooters taking out individual Hamas commanders. And I understand that it's not so simple to do. I'm not, I'm not saying there's easy solutions here, but as far as a political result, Israel, I mean, 
Israel has had a long stretch where, and then I, we can actually trace this to you know back to say when Netanyahu suddenly indicated his preference for Mitt Romney over Barack Obama in the 2012 campaign. That was the beginning of Israel abandoning a bipartisan approach to its relationship with America. They've had a very long time where they were very careful to not make Israel a political football in America. So neither party had a reason to uh, oppose it. Uh, And that, uh, I think, was embraced by most average voters. I mean, and and arguably, uh, people had a racist view towards the Palestinians and being anti-Arab and anti-Muslim and being not as sympathetic about their play as they should have been. So I'm not trying to say always hunky-dory in the universe, but just from a political standpoint of Israel's objectives, they had a very good thing going for a long time. Uh, and that began to fray with Netanyahu because they, they, they couldn't handle it that Obama and other Democrats saying, hey, maybe you don't get to have everything. Maybe you don't get to have all your settlements. Maybe you have to get back to uh, a two-state solution negotiation strategy. And they didn't want to hear it. And so they pushed farther and farther to the right and got deeper and deeper onto one side of the of the American political equation. Uh, and while that was happening, everything you talked about on college campuses was going on. Uh, and now that all comes to a head in this war. And I think it is weakening Israel's position over the long haul with the American population, even though as it stands, like there's still more people or something to the Israeli than, than, than with the Palestinians, but that's weakening and very, very dramatically with younger people. So uh, I think Israel's got to be careful about how they approach America. Yeah. Uh, I, I also think, Bill, and I, I you know, I don't want to get bogged in, down into like <laughs> me saying you're blaming the victim and you saying, look, it doesn't matter who's right or wrong. Perception matters. And this is further, you know, but I will say I, I think I, I don't I don't want I don't want to accept the notion that the bulk of the animosity toward Israel is based on their behavior or the fact that they, you know, have settlements. Like, I think anti-Semitism is the bigger driving force, especially here in America. I don't think it's really anti-Zionism or anti-Israel. I think there are people um, who blame who who do not like Jewish people who blame them. Um and uh that's to me is 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 scary. Well, it's, it's, just, it's hard to separate these, these things out because I mean there's always been the challenge. How do you criticize Israeli governmental policies without crossing over into being anti-Jewish, anti-Semitic? And that's getting harder and harder now with the way way, way things are going. And so the, the, the overall point I'm trying to make is be, because you have these uh these dynamics, like as a kid I was always like why are Arab Muslim organizations engaging in suicide bombing? Why would bin Laden think that 9-11 made any sense, that it was going to help him in any way? This would just obviously just result in a overwhelming American military response, uh, as it did. Uh, and you know, again, I think there's only mistakes in where that was directed. Should not have gone into Iraq, for example. Uh, but it ended in Osama bin Laden losing his life and didn't really help Al-Qaeda 
over the long haul. Uh, so I always thought that the, the political calculations these folks were making didn't make a lot of sense. If I'm Hamas right now, this has been a political masterstroke. You know, I don't say there's any kind of glee, of course, but they were able to engage in brutal violence without besmirching their own reputation in large swaths of America and the world. But that's an indictment on us, not a credit to their PR savvy. We are effed up. If, if in, a, in a sane, rational, decent America, that wouldn't have happened. So I think that tells that says more about us than it does about them, in my opinion. That's what well, scares me, Bill. I mean, what? Well, and again, the majority of Americans are with Israel. But if it's 20 or 30 percent who are not, to me, that is a flashing you know, warning sign. But I mean, I, I can say it's I don't think there's much value in trying to rank or prioritize who is most at fault. Uh, if you're anyone in a position of influence, you got to say, how do I fix it? What do I do differently to change this dynamic? I, I think it is really, really terrible that Israeli political leaders can't even mouth the words about finding a path to a two-state solution. They they give no hope for an alternative course of action. And so it makes it very hard to uh, then find Palestinian peaceful partners to work with because no one is no one's taking well, that look, first step anymore. I, th- I think... I think almost every uh, Israel leader, including right-wing leaders, at least been... I I, I think that Benjamin Netanyahu, I know there are some people now in his coalition government who are from kind of a more extreme right wing of, of, you know, of the, the country. But I think it's a, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but... Netanyahu supports a two-state solution. Um, the I problem don't think, is, I don't think that is true. Oh, maybe I'm wrong on paper. I mean, here, I mean, I will say this: you know, if you pull out of Gaza and they immediately have an election and elect Hamas and immediately start lobbing rockets into your country right next door, and you're relying on Iron Dome to stop those rockets. That would be a disincentive from, but Danielle also, Danielle purposefully wink winked uh, at Qatar propping up Hamas financially. I started a work visa program uh, in in Gaza to try to prevent uh, there being a pathway to. Uh, Hamas to Fatah and the Palestinian Authority be the lead in restarting bona fide peace talks. I mean, there's, there's been no serious peace talks for years and, 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 and no, no urgency on the part of Netanyahu to, to get, get them going again. They thought they could keep Hamas and the West Bank divided, contain Hamas, use Hamas's privacy as reason not to have negotiations, but maintain that kind of status quo. That has proved to have been a very poor, poorly thought out strategy. Um, there needs to be Palestinians have to have reason to believe that they that they will have statehood someday, uh, so they don't ha- have incentive to uh, ally with terrorists. And, and part of the problem has always been this goes back years. Anytime there's any kind of progress towards peace, Hamas tries to upset that with terrorist attacks. 
So remember, right, I'm, we're I'm looking at a CNN. I, I Googled myself because uh, I'm I'm now I've I've exceeded my knowledge in this discussion, which is a bad place to be as a commentator. <laughs> um, but nobody said I was an expert on this. But uh, there is, I'm sure we could find uh, opposing viewpoints. But I did find a CNN story. Netanyahu outlines vision for two state solution without Palestinian sovereignty. Yeah, I mean that's so. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure that doesn't qualify from their standpoint. It doesn't. Right? It doesn't. I mean, I mean, that's all. That's all smoke and mirrors. And he knows it's smoke and mirrors. Um, um, since I've since since I have now surpassed my knowledge of of this topic, we should probably. I don't think there's any way. Just like the Middle East, I don't think we can extricate ourselves from this discussion <laughs> unless we just move on. What do you? Well, say? Wait, can, I, can I talk about the piece I just wrote for the monthly, which Please. relates to all this? Absolutely. Um, so. I was I, I was writing a separate piece for the monthly newsletter about the history of democratic bedwetting because it's all you know we're having a fresh round of like oh my god Biden's a loser he's he's he's, he's dead meat what are we going to do to fix this uh, and you can go back to FDR in fact I I have here so I, I, we'll, we'll do a big digression man uh, this is the politics of upheaval part of Arthur Schlesinger's uh, trilogy uh, on the New Deal. I remember I read this in the midst of Obama's first term. This is before I really was reading a lot of history. This is this is really the thing that got me reading more history. Because this is in the period of the time when um, uh, people on the left were frustrated about the pace of economic recovery. Obama didn't have big enough stimulus. He's too bipartisan. We're not pushing big... Wait, is, uh, this, is this the is this when you wrote that big New York Times column? This is what this was. I was researching this uh, on the course of writing that piece, and I, there's and the, a lot of this stuff I wanted to be in the piece, but I couldn't fit it in because it made it into it was initially envisioned as a seven thousand word magazine piece, not a seven hundred word Sunday op-ed. Um, but so this is like nineteen thirty early to thirty five FDR's first term. Uh, uh, he had uh, things that sort of stalled in Congress. He lost a, a Supreme Court case. And Schlesinger writes, in a few short weeks from November 1934 to February 1935, euphoria had given way to anxiety. At the end of February, Ernest Grunig, who was in the, the Interior Department, expressed to Harold Ickes his concern over the decline in the popularity of the president. Ick suggest, Icky suggested that Grunig talk the situation over with Colonel Edward House, who was Woodrow Wilson's you know, right-hand man, as sort of his call rogue. Grunig learned from House that the Secretary of State, the Attorney General, and the Secretary of Commerce had already waited on him with similar worries. The expert consensus was that the administration was drifting and was losing popular strength. About the same time, Oscar Chapman, also at Interior, declared that the tie was running strongly against the administration and that, quote, unless the president did something to change the current during the next 30 days, he could not be reelected in 1936. Uh, and then, uh, jumping ahead a little bit. How'd that one work out, though? I think FDR did come back, right? <laughs> so among those expressing alarm was Molly Deuce of the Democratic National Committee. The president tried to relieve her mind by a special message transmitted through his wife. Uh, so, so Eleanor writes to Molly Dusen, quote, the fact that people are feeling a lack of leadership in him at present in our word is perfectly natural. 
These things go in cycles. We've been through it in Albany and we're going through it here. He says to tell you that Congress is accomplishing a great deal in spite of the fact that there's very little publicity on what they have done. The relief bill and the Social Security bill are bound to go slowly because they are a new type of legislation. If you tried to force it down the committee's throat, it did not give them time to argue them out. He would have an even more difficult Congress to work with. Please say to everyone who tells you the president is not giving leadership that he's seeing the men constantly and that he's working with them. But this is a democracy after all. And if you once started insisting on having his own way immediately, we would short, we should shortly find ourselves with a dictatorship. And I hardly think the country would like that any better than they do the delay. The ups and downs in people's feelings, particularly on the liberal side, are an old, old story. The liberals always get discouraged when they do not see the measures they are interested in go through immediately. Considering the time we've had to work in the past for almost every slight improvement, I should think they might get over with it, but they never do. Franklin says, for heaven's sake, all you Democratic leaders, calm down and feel sure of ultimate success. It will do a lot in satisfying other people. Wow. Ripped from today's uh, headlines, Bill. I mean, it's a little bit. I feel like that's more parallel to like the Obama situation post-recovery act. You know, why aren't you passing this bill or that bill? The left isn't really expecting Biden to pass a lot of bills right now. Maybe they want more executive orders. Uh, And of course, you have the whole Israel thing to deal with at the moment. Uh, But Harry Truman. So 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 that's sort of where I think it begins. This kind of this kind of panic. with Truman, we had this period in 1948, early 48, which is the election year, uh, where his numbers collapsed in the first part of the year. Uh, and one of the big liberal groups, Americans for Democratic Action, openly called for Truman to step aside and to draft Dwight Eisenhower, not even knowing if he was a Democrat, let alone uh, a liberal. I mean, that's how, and, and already at this point, Henry Wallace, who was FDR's second vice president from 40 to 40, 41 to 44, was considered very left. He gets bumped out at the 44 convention for Truman because the moderate leaders are like, okay, Truman, Roosevelt might die. We can't have this Wallace kook be president. We can't get rid of him. So they successfully, with, with Roosevelt's you know, quiet help, swap him out for Truman. But FDR gives Wallace a Commerce Department spot as consolation. So he's still in the cabinet when Roosevelt dies and Truman ascends to the presidency. And Wallace and Truman don't get along. Uh, and Wallace was start, started to complain about the administration's approach to the Soviet Union, forcing Truman to force him out completely. And Wallace then runs as a progressive party candidate starting in early 48, raising the concern that he's going to peel off votes from the left in key states, particularly New York. Uh, New York. He's, he's Jill Stein. Yeah. He's yeah. Literally, that, that what was happening at that point. And New York was the biggest electoral prize. It was 47 electoral votes. Nothing, nothing, no other state cracked 40. And... The Republican nominee wasn't established yet, but it was likely to be Thomas Dewey, the New York governor. And he ran in 44 against Roosevelt and didn't win New York. Republicans didn't win New York, but Roosevelt only beat him by five points. So you couldn't assume that New York was going to stay Democratic, especially if Wallace could take votes away. Uh, So I I knew a fair amount of this story already, 
when I was rereading for the newsletter thing I wrote on Tuesday, what I didn't connect was the role of Israel. Because Wallace was steadfast for, I mean, to this way, Israel's not in existence yet. It has the, Israel declares its independence in May of 1948. Up until this point, you had, uh, it, it's a British mandate. Palestine's a British mandate following World War I. Uh, and the Zionist movement was already in effect because they were dealing with, you know, anti-Jewish pogroms and looking for a place to be safe. And there was a movement to have an area in Palestine be that place. Uh, and so the British in the 20s and 30s, like, okay, Jews, you can go immigrate there. Uh, but as World War II begins and there's more tension between the Jews and Arabs, Britain's like, ah, we don't, we don't need that. You know, we're going to shut this down. Uh, so they're not letting Jews keep, keep pouring in there during World War II. After the Holocaust, you not only have an increased demand for, okay, we really need a, we need a homeland. People are really trying to exterminate us off, off the planet. You have 100,000 Jewish refugees, uh, Holocaust survivors with a, who need a place to go. Uh, so, the the new UN uh, votes for a partition plan. Okay, well, Jews will go here, Arabs will go here. Jews are like awesome, Arabs are like no, thank you. Uh, and more conflict is breaking out. Uh, and so there's now pressure on Truman from the Jewish community to go forward with the partition plan. But Truman's State Department and Defense Department want nothing to do with it because they think this is needless conflict that's getting in the way of getting oil from the region. Uh, so from their vantage point, you know, placating the Jews is politics. It is so Truman can win New York and it's not about American national interest. But here's Wallace saying that we should be uh, fully for an establishment of, of a Jewish state. And so Truman's being cross-pressured. In March of 48, his, his State Department says, we want to make this proposal to the UN where we would temporarily show the partition plan and create a UN trusteeship. And Truman's thinking, oh, this is temporary, fine. He didn't think it was going to be interpreted as an abandonment of the entire Jewish cause, which is what how it was interpreted and what the State Department wanted it to be. Uh, and so, so Truman gets hammered for reversing himself. Uh, and that's when his poll numbers tank. It's probably not just the Israel question. There's also He's also got entangled up in, in civil rights where he's making both sides unhappy. Um, but, I'm sorry. Hang on, hang on one second, Bill. Yeah. One. So even the, so even though uh, so there's sort of like a rough deadline of May 15 because that's when the British after the UN passed the partition plan, even though it wasn't enforced, the British then said, "Okay, our mandate is done May 15, 1948," and there was an expectation that the the Jewish people that were going to declare an independent state at that moment. So there was intense debate between Truman and state and defense. What are they going to do? And the, and the secretary of state, George Marshall told Truman, if you recognize Israel, I'm not going to vote for you for president. 
because hmm. um, I think it's just so wrong and just so, it's just crass politics and against the national interest. Uh, but Truman does it anyway. He immediately comes out with, with recognition minutes after midnight after Israel uh, makes the announcement, which leads to further war between Israel and its and its Arab neighbors. But and so so often you'll see like Truman did this and Jews were appreciative and he went 75 percent of the Jewish vote and the story. Uh, but Truman did not lift an arms embargo on the region that was put in place months prior because the British said, if you do that, we're going to send arms to the Arabs and you're going to be in such a, a proxy war with us and that's going to damage our relationship. And State Department was like, for Pete's sake, Truman, don't do that. You know, that's going to be awful. And Truman was like, okay, you got a good point there. Uh, so, so he doesn't let the arms embargo. So Wallace doesn't praise Truman for the recognition. He hammers Truman for not lifting the arms embargo. And he, in New York in October, right before the election, he's saying that Truman's got blood on his hands. Truman is like Lady Macbeth. They can't wash off the blood because uh, he's working at the behest of the oil companies. This is a quasi-socialist candidate uh, who is hammering Truman for not arming uh, the for not arming Israel. And even though Truman wins most of the Jewish vote nationally, Wallace gets 8% in New York. Wallace gets 25% of the Jewish vote in New York. And Dewey wins New York. By 1% of the vote. Uh, so we're talking now about, is Biden going to lose Michigan because of the Arab Muslim vote? So on one end, you could say, well, maybe these things are so emotionally powerful that they could tip votes in, in, in the state. Now, the percentage of the Jewish vote in New York in 1948 was 13%. It was a huge part of New York State. The Arab vote in in uh, Michigan is more like three percent, which is not insignificant, but it's not thirteen percent. Uh, and so, if you drill into the numbers, like, I mean, could it happen? Sure, but it's got to be a super close race, and nothing other, no other offsetting factors could be uh, at, at play. Even though Truman lost New York, he he won a whole bunch of other states. He flipped a bunch of other states for you know, agricultural reasons, for civil rights reasons. He went, he flipped Ohio because of the, the black turnout because of Truman's civil rights uh, position. Uh, so we don't know how 2024 is going to work out, how much Jewish vote is Biden going to get that offsets the Arab losses. Maybe he gets back Arab votes and Muslim votes because of the way things pan out in Israel over the course of the next 12 months. You can't know. So my takeaway of it all is pursue the best policies. Uh, and don't get hung up on this constituent. I mean, not you shouldn't care about what their opinions, but you can't do things in too crass way because you can't know how all the various factors are all going to coalesce at the end of the day. So but that, that story is in the Washington Monthly this week. Yeah, I think it's good advice for life and politics. And so uh, was this in uh, people should sign up for your newsletter, Bill? Yes, they should. They should. They, should, they could do that at the Washington Monthly website. They can do yeah. it on Substack. Um, you're putting out not letter. only like a roundup of things people should read, but you're putting out essentially a column, a, a think piece like this yes. in a lot of these emails. Yes, that's correct. So it's great. I read it. 
everyone should sign up. Thank you very much. Um, Bill, we're at the 47 minute mark. Anything else before we call it a day? No, I know, I know. you got work to do. I got work to do. Uh, we got we we got Thanksgiving plans to figure out. I got to I got to figure yeah. out. I'm gonna make my mashed potatoes, my mac and cheese. So we got things to do. You deep fry the turkey, right? I've never done a deep fried turkey, and I'm, I'm increasingly afraid of deep fried turkey with every passing year. Apparently, it's super dangerous. Yeah, we did it one time at the Daily Caller um, outside on uh, L Street, <laughs> like. That was the that was the least crazy thing we did at the Daily Caller. I will uh, say this: I, I'm increasingly of the view that trying to cook a full turkey is is needless stress on yeah. the day. So I'm all for like buying turkey from the grocery store. Maybe you, maybe you can make cut up a turkey and like deep fried turkey nuggets. Or yeah, have you heard nuggets. of spatchcocking? Do you know about this? That's that's work. That's all work. It sounds very dirty, but uh, spatchcock the bird. And it will, uh, you cook it like a lot faster. Yeah, I mean, but still, yeah. there's a lot of prep involved with that. Take away stress on Thanksgiving. Don't add stress to Thanksgiving. That's my view. You're talking to a guy who frequently goes out for Thanksgiving. <laughs> and has been mocked. Been mocked and called a snowflake by you. <laughs> a, a lefty snowflake for doing this. I, well, that, I that is lame. You're talking to a guy, I've literally had Christmas trees show up at my front door in a box. Super late. So I am, you're preaching to the choir here with your keep it simple, stupid method. You're coming around to my way of thinking after all these years. Um, check us out on Twitter at DMZ Show. Not on threads yet, but you know, we'll get there. Just like Bill with his- Well, you and I are on threads. You and I are. Uh, at Matt K. Lewis and at Bill Share. Bill Share uh, Media on threads. Uh, did, did someone steal Bill Share? I just, that was an Instagram thing. I think oh. someone had Bill Share on Instagram, so I had to do Bill so Share. It went media. over, right? I got yeah. you. Well, go there because soon Bill will be posting his thread. No pun intended. WKRP Thanksgiving thread, annual tradition. And I'll and I'll say it again. You never you never agree to this because you think it's inappropriate to even comment. But we all know Bailey was better than Jennifer. <laughs> I'll just throw that out there. And uh, I don't know if we'll see you next week because uh, it's Thanksgiving, but we'll figure it out. We'll see you in one week or two. Yep. And we'll be back uh, at some point. So have a good one, Bill. Take care.